Today, I want us to talk a bit about something which, um, which I guess we're all searching for. We really are, you know. And I guess you could say that Western culture, the culture in which we live, is a culture built primarily around the search for this thing, joy. We might use other terms. We might call it happiness or or personal satisfaction or personal fulfilment. But probably the most accurate term is joy. And as the more I think about it, the more I come to the conclusion that I think our our culture has an insatiable appetite for joy. And I would suggest that that is probably because we are hardwired to both desire and need joy in our lives. That God has actually made us like this. That he has made us to just want, crave joy. The problem is that we so often look for joy in the wrong places. And today, as part of our series of messages on being disciples of Jesus, I want us to spend some time in Psalm 126. Psalm 126 is part of a collection of psalms which were really designed to teach the ancient Israelites, worshippers of Yahweh, how to be pilgrims, how to be people who walk through life with God and how to be people who ultimately find the good life by living as God tells them how to live. Psalm 126 speaks to us about this experience we all long for, and it speaks to us about where to find true, lasting and abiding joy. So let's look at this psalm together. This is Psalm 126. When the Lord restored the exiles, his exiles to Jerusalem. It was like a dream. We were filled with laughter and we sang for joy. And the other nations said, what amazing things the Lord has done for them. Yes, the Lord has done amazing things for us. What joy. Restore our fortunes, Lord, as streams renew the desert. Those who plant in tears will harvest with shouts of joy. They weep as they go to plant their seed, but they sing as they return with the harvest. Verse 2 of our little psalm today says, We were filled with laughter and we sang for joy. That sounds good, doesn't it? To be filled with laughter. You know what that's like? You experience that where something happens and often it's out of the blue where you just can't stop laughing. It's like it just overcomes you. And it's the most wonderful feeling, it really is, and singing for joy. You know, that sounds like the Christian life for me. It really does. Where you find Christians, you generally also hear laughter and and joyful singing. And look, I know I've told you this story before, but it just hit, it impacted me so strongly. Some years ago, we were at Black Stump at the music festival, and there were, you know, there's thousands of people camping there, And it always rains on the Black Stump weekend. So it's muddy and cold. Yeah, it's just, it's one of those weekends. And you've been up all night listening to thumping music and even, you just can't escape. Wherever you go, the bass is still there. So you're sleep deprived. And I remember on the last morning waking up and there's just 
hundreds and hundreds of people around you camping. And I woke up to the sound of laughter. And not just nearby, but it was kind of going like waves throughout this campsite down this hill. There was just this joyful noise of teenagers way too early in the morning. And there was laughter and fun. And it, I just thought, yeah, that, that's just unique, isn't it? That, that's a beautiful sound. It really is, you know. And, and I've, I've seen this before. I mean, I remember a time when Louise and I were, were down at the entrance. We just were down there having lunch or something. And we're sitting there eating a kebab on the grassy slope. And we're watching this family. And I said to Louise, they're having way too much fun. I'll, I'll bet they're Christians. And as they walked up the hill, one of the little kids had on the back of his shirt, I love Jesus. And I thought, yeah, typical, just typical. When the Apostle Paul spoke about the various flavours of the fruit of the Spirit, remember there's one fruit of the Spirit and it has a whole range of flavours. The second in Paul's list of flavours in Galatians 5 is joy. When the Holy Spirit controls our life, Paul says, He will produce this kind of fruit in us. Remember, a tree just produces the fruit. It just does it. Your life, if you provide the right environment with the Holy Spirit living within you, will just produce this kind of fruit. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, etc. So when the Holy Spirit takes up residence, part of what he produces in that life is joy. It is joy. Have you ever watched some of the um, David Attenborough documentary about life on earth? It's been around, I know, now for some time. You've probably seen some of it. But it's an amazing kind of image into the truth of what is really happening in this world, which God created for his own glory. You know, if you actually think about it, you know that sound in the early morning when the currawongs and, and various birds are kind of starting to to sense that the day is coming and there's that, that noise, that celebration of life. Do you realise that that never ends? It never, ever ends. And the same thing happens when the sun sets, doesn't it? That suddenly there's this, this life that seems to come. And if you're a fisherman, you'll know that, that all the activity, you know, and even if you're a surfer, you know that you're more liable to see activity at sundown or sun, sunset, because it's almost like the whole place is coming alive. But, you know, that never changes because it just goes around and around and around. The sun is always rising. At every point of the day, the sun is rising. And animals, I know, when we look at them, sometimes their behaviour can seem downright bloody and vicious, can't it? A lot of the time we look at animals and we just go, wow, they are just jumping for joy. They, they, they seem to be just so excited. I mean, you think about dolphins or whales or chimpanzees or the humble budgerigar. Budgies are just naturally happy or cross. <laughs> They're one or the other. Think about a flock of galahs wheeling overhead or even the family dog when you arrive home in the evening. Even the animal kingdom seems to be just joy-filled. You know, think about the beach or the, the sun setting. It always seems to me to be a joyous occasion, a joy-filled 
moment. When I think of the rainforest, I get the same impression. When I lie on my back out in the country and look up at the stars, there is something inherently joyful about the universe. If you get up at the moment, about an hour before sunrise, you'll see Venus and it is so bright. It's just otherworldly, it's so bright. And it's just full of joy, it really is. Maybe that's because God made it and God fills it and we know that one of the beautiful qualities of our God is his all-encompassing joyfulness. You see, if God is love, I guess we could also say God is joy. And that's not to say that joy is a requirement of the Christian life. You aren't required to be joyful to be a follower of Jesus. To think like that is just to have everything completely upside down. You know, some of us experience events in our life which are just full of sadness and pain. That is the reality of what has happened. Your life at this moment is full of sadness and pain. And to say otherwise is, is just ridiculous. It's nothing short of a denial of the truth, the reality of the situation. You know, I remember saying to people when my dad died that I thought I had understood grief. And I remember saying, it was like I'd waded into my knees. And you think, yeah, I understand grief. But I'd only been kind of ankle deep. In, you know, and then suddenly someone really close to you dies and it's like you're up to here in grief. Do you know what I mean? It's, it's a different thing. Isn't it? And now to say that that moment is joyful, it's just a lie. There are things we're going to go through which are just really bad. To lose a parent as a young child is terrible. You can't put a gloss on it. To, to be given a terminal diagnosis as a young man or woman is nothing short of tragedy. To have your, your marriage disintegrate is very sad stuff. It really is. To, to lose your child in a car accident is just bad. It, it really is. There are, there are times when we find ourselves in such a pit of despair that it's hard to believe that we will ever experience joy again the danger here is that we may end up saying to ourselves see this just shows that i'm not really saved i'm not really a christian if i was i'd be laughing and singing in the midst of all this instead of you know experiencing all of this pain please listen to me that is just not true that is just not true joy is a consequence of the christian life rather than a prerequisite or a proof. And I think our problem is that we have such a narrow view of joy that we're looking for it in a little spot like this where really we need to get right back and see a much bigger picture. Don't go looking for joy in an attempt to find life in Christ. That, that is just wrong thinking. As you walk in faith, as you walk in obedience in relationship with Jesus, joy is the natural outflow of that walk. And there are going to be times in life when joy will simply not be the appropriate response at that time. And, you know, we see this modelled in the life of Jesus, don't we? In the Garden of Gethsemane, you know, this is, this is after the Last Supper. This is just in the moments before Jesus is arrested, when he will, he will find himself on this this journey that he, he knows is going to end in his painful death. 
In the Garden of Gethsemane, we read about Jesus praying earnestly to his Father. Is there another way? Is there another way? And it says that he was so anxious, he was so distressed, that he was sweating blood. The capillaries in his skin were bursting and he was sweating blood. And yet, not my will but yours be done, he prayed. So in that moment, he he delighted to do his father's will in that. He delighted to do his father's will. He was obedient even to the point of death and certainly within a very short time, within just a couple of days from that terrible moment of anguish, one could argue that probably the most joyful event in the history of everything occurred, the resurrection of Jesus Christ. I mean, once and for all, death was now defeated. That's what happened within a few days. And it flowed directly from his obedience to the Father's will and his relationship with God. And look, by the time the book of Hebrews was written, a new, truer perspective had been gained. You see, this is the thing. When when you're in the garden and you're looking at the little spot like this, Jesus is going, oh, God, save me from this. But the writer of Hebrews actually says like this, he goes, Hebrews 12 verse 2 says, let us fix our eyes on Jesus. You see, he gets it. He's saying, don't just look at this. Let us fix our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy set before him endured the cross. I mean, it's amazing, isn't it? That for the joy set before him, he endured the the agony and the shame of the cross. And he then sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. This is the key. It really is. This is the key. We're all looking for joy, but so few know where to find it. The joy that we're speaking about here is the kind of joy that lasts for more than a few moments. And it is found only in God. He is the source of life. He is the source of love and ultimately he is the source of joy. It's so important we get that. He's the source of life. He's the author of life. God is love and he is the source of all your joy. Anything other than a momentary type of joy is only found in God. Our psalm today, Psalm 126 says, When the Lord restored his exiles to Jerusalem, it was like a dream. We were filled with laughter and we sang for joy. And the other nations said, what amazing things the Lord has done for them. Yes, the Lord has done amazing things for us. What joy. See, we need to realise that Israel's history was very much a a kind of sore-toothed type thing, wasn't it? It was very much up and down. And, And right back, if you go right back to the very beginning, you have Abraham and Isaac and Jacob and then Jacob has these... 12 sons and Jacob gets renamed Israel so his his sons are the sons of Israel and you have the story where Joseph ends up in Egypt and they go to Egypt they're, they're having a hard time because there's a, a famine but God saves them and they they go to Egypt and it seems like oh we've been so blessed it's up you know it's wonderful but very shortly they end up in slavery and it's pretty nasty they're in slavery for 400 years 
See what I mean about perspective? Think about how many generations lived in slavery, even though they were the people of God. 400 years they're in slavery. And then eventually we know the story. God sends Moses and he gets them out of there and he gives them their own land, the promised land, the land promised to Abraham hundreds and hundreds of years earlier. And it's a good land. It's, they're up. It's a land flowing with milk and honey. But you see, then they forget the Lord and they go their own way and they're disobedient. And if you read through the book of Judges, man, it is just like this. And if you map it out as I had to do at college and you work out the years, it's about a 20-year cycle, which is about a generation, isn't it? It's like every generation, oh, they forget the Lord and he delivers them. And this goes on and on and on. And eventually the people of Israel are sent to exile. And they're in exile in Babylon. Jerusalem is basically wiped out. The temple's destroyed. A lot of them are murdered. They get dragged off. And they're in exile for 70-odd years. This psalm, scholars believe, is written after that. You've got to realise that, that this psalm is not written back then. It's written after all of this. These guys knew what it was like. They were looking for joy, like we all are. And they know that it, you find it by looking backwards now said at the start we're all looking for joy in so many ways our culture evolves around this the search for joy if i did a bit of a poll this morning and i asked does anyone here not want joy yeah there aren't gonna be too many hands going up i've never met anyone who wants to be joyless lots of people are sad but generally they don't want to be sad lots of people are depressed but they just don't want to be depressed the problem revolves around the fact that human beings don't seem to have the ability to be joyous for more than a few moments. We just don't. When that, when that joy kind of flows from ourselves, we struggle to hang on to it. And that's why we pay entertainers to entertain us. That's why we sit in front of the television night after night just hoping that there'll be something there in what we watch that'll make us go, <laughs> yeah. We trawl through YouTube hours just looking for something to go oh gotta share that that was funny what's the expression laughed my ass off thank you john l-o-a-h no l-o-a-o yeah (laughs) l-o-a-o we're looking for ah, yeah l-o-l laughed out loud that one was so funny i laughed out loud We're looking for a bit of joy, aren't we? You know, I remember years ago standing in Blockbuster with Jordan. He was about six. I'm saying, oh, so what do you feel like tonight? Remember, he's a little tiny kid. And as serious as anything, he goes, hmm, I feel like a laugh. (laughs) So Jordy's looking for a bit of joy, isn't he? He's just looking for a bit of joy. We buy music continually because we love it and it gives us joy. The music industry is worth billions simply because it delivers. It kind of does. It delivers joy. But it's a very rare piece of music that doesn't eventually run out of joy. I I remember as a little little kid, I was about 10 years of age, I remember coming home with, who remembers when you used to buy a single and it was about that big? Right? I remember buying Abba's Mamma Mia. And I've got to tell you, that, that little song, it delivered joy. For a 10-year-old, I played that thing over and over and over. 
drove mum and dad crazy, but it delivered joy, but it kept running out and eventually, yeah, it just didn't last, did it? I remember going, it was with my parents in Germany and we were at Frankfurt Airport. I was about seven years old, 1974, and I remember they had the latest in European entertainment technology. You sat there and a computer screen was laid on its back and there were two little white lines that would go like this. Brian's going, yeah. Right? And this ball went, dip, dip, dip. and you moved the paddles up and down and it would bounce the ball back. And I can remember saying to my dad, oh, can you imagine having this at home? Well, within a couple of years, we had one at home. It was called an Atari. And when mum was selling her house, I found it up in the ceiling. It used to give us so much joy. Doot, doot, doot. Eventually we ran out of joy though, didn't we? And you needed more. So then you, then you discovered, what was it, Space Invaders. At, at 40 cents a go, it was very expensive. But you're saving the Earth, shooting down all those Space Invaders. But eventually that ran out of kind of cool as well. And then along came PlayStation. And I remember when PlayStation first came out, you thought, this is just awesome. I could do this for the rest of my life doesn't take long before you run out of joy, do you? You want the next thing and eventually, ah, oh, who's going to... Eugene Peterson says these words. I reckon he's spot on. He says, our society, our culture, is a bored, gluttonous king employing a court jester to divert it after an overindulgent meal. But that kind of joy never penetrates our lives. It never changes our basic constitution. The effects are extremely temporary. A few moments, a few hours, a few days at most. When we run out of money, the joy trickles away. I reckon he's spot on there. Thing is, we cannot make ourselves joyful. Real joy, the kind that seems to permeate every part of a person, the kind which has an intangible quality to it, cannot be just commanded. You can't just go and buy this kind of joy or somehow try to manage it or arrange it. But you know the thing is? Some people have it, don't they? Some people seem to have this, this joy which in the midst of incredible hardship, and I can think of people here who have it in abundance, that their joy seems to transcend their circumstances. It seems to go beyond what they're going through. It doesn't make sense, but it is there. It is unquestionably there for all to see. This is a God-given joy that only comes from the Holy Spirit. So is the answer simply, just get right with God, become a Christ follower and the Holy Spirit will produce joy in your life. Amen. Thanks for coming. We'll see you next week. You know, look, in some ways I really do believe it's that simple. I kind of do. Deep down my theology is, yeah, I believe that. But the thing is, there, there are Christians, genuine Christ followers, who don't have much of that joy in their life. And these faithful Hebrews, think about their situation. This is in the 8th century B.C., they weren't going to receive the Holy Spirit for many thousands of years until the day of Pentecost. And they seemed to experience a joy in their walk with God that was tangible. I mean, the surrounding nations 
even recognised it and commented on it. And I want to learn from them about where they found this God-given joy. I really do. So what can we do? Well, I think this is the answer that Psalm 126 teaches us. That we can make a conscious decision to live in response to the abundance of God rather than under the dictatorship of our own wants and desires. We live in response to what God is blessing us with. We respond to that rather than the dictator of our own wants and desires. And that doesn't come easily. You see, I think that's an act of will. An act of will. From time to time, I kind of enjoy doing some painting and stuff. And one thing I really would love to do one day is a painting for me that hangs in my lounge room that has the word enough on it. Enough. Because really, the truth is that I believe with my head and heart is that Jesus is enough. (laughs) He is. That I want to live in the abundance of God a theology that says, no, God is, he provides all of my needs. He provides everything for me rather than living in the scarcity of my own dictatorship, of my own desires. It doesn't come easily. We're all looking for it. No one's denying that. The question is, where are you going to look? Well, I think if we look at this psalm carefully, I believe it will give us a foundational truth in finding authentic, abiding joy. Have a look at verse 3. This is a central verse of this psalm. It says, yes, the Lord has done amazing things for us. What joy. I want you to notice something. And you just got to concentrate for a few minutes here. This verse is right in the middle. The ones before it, the ones before it are in the past tense. The words before this are in the past tense. When the Lord restored his exiles to Jerusalem, it was like a dream. We were filled with laughter and we sang for joy. And the other nations said, what amazing things the Lord has done for them. I want you to see the verses following are in the present and the future tense. Verse 4, restore our fortunes, Lord. As streams renew the desert. Those who plant in tears will harvest with shouts of joy. They weep as they go to plant their seed, but they sing as they return with the harvest. What I want you to get today is that present joy, present joy in a big God sense, has a past and a future. Real joy is never found in the fleeting moment of instant satisfaction as found in a cigarette or a hip new pop song or even your latest overseas holiday. Present joy, real, God-given, abiding joy has a past and a future. And when they sang about God delivering them from exile, it triggered in them, in the mind of these, these people of Israel, these disciples and pilgrims, a vast flood of memories hang on to your memories particularly your memories of what God has done in your life 
This is why it's so good to write them down in a journal because we forget. It triggered for them the stories of their national history, of their unique relationship with the living God who chose to reveal himself to all of humanity through their story. And you know what? It needs to be exactly the same with us. I really believe we will find joy, God-given joy in the present, in the midst of whatever you're experiencing now, whatever you're going through, by remembering God's faithfulness to you in the past. But you know, there's more to that. When a Hebrew thought about their history, they couldn't help but think about two things. We find this over and over again in the scriptures. And these things are crucial to us as well when we think about finding joy. The first one is relationship. Okay? They remembered God's faithfulness in the past, but they also remembered God's covenant relationship with them. Now, covenant relationship, like, say, the covenant of marriage, is a similar thing. It says, this person is special to me. When I think about my marriage, my wife Louise is Of all the women in the world, she's just not another one of the women in the world. For me, she is the woman. She is the woman who I have a covenant relationship with. This is not a casual relationship. This is a very special relationship. And when the people of Israel thought about their relationship with God... They did not have a casual relationship with God. They had a very special relationship with God. They have a covenant relationship with God. And it needs to be exactly the same with us. You'll find joy, God-given joy in the present, in the midst of whatever you're experiencing now, by remembering that your relationship with God isn't a casual one. Believe me, you will not find joy in a casual relationship with God. Let me tell you why. You can't have one. You cannot have one. You know, in the, in, the, in the past weeks when I've been talking about how Paul says you're a slave of Christ Jesus, and, and our sensibilities, you know, as, as Westerners is that how dare he kind of thing. I am who I am and I, I'm a separate person. No. That's a casual relationship. Our relationship with God is not casual. He is the God, as Louise is the woman for me. And I'm only going to worship God, and God says, it is all or nothing with me. But you'll find joy in that, knowing that your commitment to him is one thing, but his commitment to you is is really what it's all about. It is not a casual relationship. He is absolutely committed to you. Secondly, or thirdly in our list, when a Hebrew thought about their past, their history, they also thought about obedience to God. You see, in the same way as they forgot about their covenant relationship with God, when they forgot about being obedient to God, things went very badly for them. And ultimately they were conquered and taken into exile in Babylon. And it's exactly the same with us. You'll find joy, God-given joy in the present, in the midst of whatever you're experiencing now, by just being obedient. So often, 
People will come to me and talk about a mess in their lives. Things are all falling apart. And they start saying, why is God allowing this to happen to me? At the end of it, when you finish the discussion, you work out you're being pretty rebellious, pretty disobedient to God. Get that right. Get that right. Joy will come back. God is committed to you. He loves you. It's not a casual relationship. Obedience matters. And we see that in the sawtooth history of Israel. It was obedience, disobedience, obedience, disobedience, over and over again. Joy begins with honouring the covenant relationship. And we see this in the Ten Commandments. He says, I am the Lord your God who brought you out of Egypt. See, looking back, out of the land of slavery, you will have no other gods before me. It's the first of the Ten Commandments. It's me or not at all. Yeah, when people get offended when you say, there is only one way to heaven. Yeah, yeah, because our relationship is a covenant relationship. The one God. We only worship God. The living God. And it's only through Jesus. You know, we were made to worship the creator, not the creation, as I said to you last week. The world looks for joy by worshipping the creation. But real joy begins with worshipping the Creator and honouring that covenant relationship we have with Him. But I also said that your present joy also has a future. Joy is nurtured by anticipation. And you know, honestly, I've seen this in our family. We've got three weddings in seven months. It's been joyful. And... I've got to tell you, when I've watched people who just shack up together, for want of a better word, and they've met each other, you say, how long have you known each other? Four days. We're moving in. I've completely given myself to him. That's what really happened. And uh, it's not all that joyful. You know, we're... we're, we're Finding some bumps, you know, bumps in the road and all that. And then I look at three couples who have really said, no, no, we're, we're going to obey God and do this how God wants us to do it and everything. What I've observed is the joy of anticipation. You know what I'm talking about? It's a wonderful thing. It's a wonderful thing, the joy of anticipation. And that's what we have in our life as well. We're in the midst of a mess. Bad things are happening. We look backwards, but we also look forward with great anticipation to what God is doing and is going to do. And that's what we find here in this psalm. It says, uh, verse 4, it says, Restore our fortunes, Lord, as streams renew the desert. It's a beautiful picture. You know, they lived in pretty rocky and desolate places and they made their way up every year up the mountains, you always went up to Jerusalem. And that were rocky and dry places, baked hard by the scorching sun. But when the rains came, those gullies would burst into light with life with blossoms. And that is so often how joy works in our experience, isn't it? There can be seasons in your life that are full of sorrow and tears. They're like the sun-baked gullies. But eventually God's grace comes rushing through like refreshing rains, and it brings joy and hope. 
Lots of parts of our country at the moment are just dying for some rain. We've had a whole heap and we would have noticed the way suddenly our lawns and everything are just coming to life. And it's the same here. That's, what, that's the image. Second image is of the sower and the harvest time. Those who plant in tears will harvest with shouts of joy. They weep as they go to plant their seed, but they sing as they return with the harvest. You know, sowing is hard work. It really is. The soil is empty, lifeless, devoid of hope. The ground needs to be ploughed and broken up hard yakka in hot, dry weather. The seed is scattered amidst tears and pain. Yet as the months go by and the crop grows, there's great anticipation of the party that's coming, the harvest celebration. Once again, Eugene Peterson writes some profound words. He says, All suffering, all pain, all disappointment is seed. Sow it in God. It's powerful, isn't it? He says, if we treat it like that, if we treat all suffering and disappointment and pain as seed, that we're going to, by an act of will, say, no, I am going to sow this in God. I'm going to give this to God. And he will finally bring a crop of joy from it. He who began a good work in you will be faithful to complete it. And all things work together for good for those who put their faith in Jesus. All things. That is the wonderful thing about our journey, isn't it? That no matter how bad things get, no matter how sick Nev's getting, in the end, mate, it's all good, isn't it? It is. It's all good. It's all good. hard having Beryl and Nev sitting right there, <laughs> right in my line. And look around, pe- people are going through hard stuff, aren't they? You know, everywhere I look, people are going through really hard, hard things. But I don't really believe this is true. The people who wrote this psalm, the people who sang it, they knew the pain. Didn't they? They knew the pain of exile and suffering and having their city destroyed and their children murdered and they knew what this was about. They knew what it was to sow in tears but they also knew what Christians today know that laughter doesn't exclude weeping and that God-given joy is not an escape from sorrow. Pain and hardship will come. They will. That's just life. Pain and hardship will come. But when we walk with Jesus, it won't drive out. It won't drive out that joy, which only comes from the Holy Spirit. Real joy now flows not from how we feel about ourselves or our circumstances, but rather about how we feel about God. And more importantly, how God feels about us that's the most important thing you know past is tied to all that God has already done and the key elements for us moving forward is relationship with God 
covenant relationship with God and obedience. And it's a long obedience in the same direction. That's what it's about. It's not, okay, I'll just be obedient now and then I'll get all this joy and that'll be it. Then I can be disobedient. No, no, it's a long obedient walk. One step after another. Let's pray together. Lord, many of us here are going through some very, very hard times. As I look around the room, there's just so many people who are, I guess, engulfed in, in tears and sorrow. And we rejoice in all that you've done, Lord, and all you will do. We pray this in Jesus' name.